Welcome to In My Backyard, an open conversation about children and mental health. We all know a child who's struggling, whether that child tells us or not. In this podcast, we speak with experts on the many factors of emotional distress in children, how to address those factors, and how to create a community where all children can be healthy and happy. This podcast is made possible through generous donations from supporters and listeners like you. Please visit tgclb.org or text HOPE to 562-262-5689 to make a one-time donation or join our Hope and Healing Club to become a monthly donor today. Your host is Trisha Costales, CEO of the Guidance Center, a nonprofit children's mental health agency in Long Beach, California. I'm Trisha Costales, your host of In My Backyard. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the chief executive officer of the Guidance Center, a nonprofit children's mental health agency serving 3,500 children and families every year. Today we're going to have a conversation about school-based mental health, what it is, and how this treatment model increases access and availability to services for many children who would otherwise not receive help. We already know from prior episodes that our children are not doing well as a whole. National statistics about children's mental health are grim. According to Mental Health America, 17% of children aged 12 to 17 reported at least one major depressive episode in the last year. 12% or nearly 3 million youth are experiencing severe major depression as we speak, putting them at real risk for school failure, substance abuse, and suicide. Tragically, only 57% of youth with severe depression are receiving mental health care. That lack of access to care is particularly troubling. The Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA, reports that the United States needs roughly 4.5 million additional behavioral health professionals to meet the current treatment needs of the population. This lack of access to treatment is particularly marked in underserved, low-income communities of color. Researchers Love and Schlitt et al. found that barriers to mental health treatment in those communities include transportation, time, cost, fears around confidentiality, and lack of continuity of care. It should be noted as well that many communities of color view mental health issues with a cultural lens that includes stigma and a justified lack of trust in institutional authority. The benefits of school-based mental health services have long been noted. The Kaiser Family Foundation found that school-based mental health services can improve access to care, allow for early identification and treatment of mental illness, and reduce access barriers for underserved populations, including children from low-income families and children of color. Today, we have the honor of speaking with Nayeli Villalobos, a licensed clinical social worker and clinical supervisor for the Guidance Center's Long Beach School-Based Program. Nayeli served for many years as a clinician in the school-based program and now supervises treatment and coordinates services at several Long Beach public schools. 
Welcome, Nayeli. Thank you for joining us today. I have the great benefit of knowing you from our roles at the Guidance Center and having offices down the hall from each other. But for the benefit of our listeners, will you please tell us a little bit a little bit about yourself and your background? I am a licensed clinical social worker. Uh, been uh, my career about 10 years. Most of that has been spent uh, working in the school setting. I currently am a clinical supervisor and school-based coordinator uh, with the school-based program at the Guidance Center. Excellent. Thank you. Now, could you please tell us a little bit about the school-based program? Like, what does it mean to be a school-based mental health program? How many schools are we in? And how and where are the services provided? Well, um, our program here at the Guidance Center is um, we have, we provide the services at, uh, we are the lead mental health agency at about 24 schools uh, in the Long Beach Unified School District. Um, And most of those are elementary schools. And then we have a few middle school, high schools. Um, And in addition to that, we also provide services that are um, what we call educationally related mental health services to other schools outside of those 24. Uh, What it means to be a mental health provider in a school, um, we have a group of clinicians and those clinicians basically are assigned to any number of schools, could be one school, two schools, three schools. Um, And during the week, those clinicians go to the schools and then um, they have, you know, their caseload, the clients, students that they meet with throughout the school day. Um, So that's typically uh, how things work with the program. Um, The services are at the school. And for the most part, we have a space that is designated um, for the clinicians, uh, whether it's a room and some places we're lucky to have a big room and others, sometimes we have a smaller space. And sometimes we also have to meet with students um, outside, um, but um, they typically, that's where the services are provided uh, in the schools during school hours. So we're, we pull kids out of classrooms, I assume, so they can come to their therapy appointments then since it is during the school hours? Correct. Um, They are pulled throughout the day. And sometimes we also meet with families before school hours or after school hours. Gotcha. I do remember I had a Zoom meeting once with one of your therapists and uh, she was clearly sitting in a closet at the school. So the space I think our therapists get uh, varies widely in terms of how nice it is. Um, Exactly. Could you explain a little bit how what we do, what your program does in school-based mental health, how's that different from what a school counselor does? Well, these days, most school counselors really are focused on administrative tasks or uh, crisis management. Um, What I mean by administrative tasks would be you know, discipline, attendance, academic testing, uh, IEPs, you know, for students who are in special education programs. Um, So they really don't have the time to do the work that we do, which is more uh, in-depth, 
you know, it's individual with the clients that we do this in-depth clinical work um, over a period of time also. So we are able, uh, since we're at the schools, we're able to meet with the students who are referred to us um, on a weekly number for, um, and, you know, a determined amount of time, sometimes six months, sometimes a year, could be more. Um, so we're able to meet with them regularly. And uh, in addition to that, we're also able to work collaboratively with uh, teachers. Um, we work with teachers to support them in the classroom with the behavior issues that some of our clients might be having. Uh, and we also, as I mentioned earlier, we work with the parents who um, at times we meet with them at the schools to uh, support them also with the situations that they might be experiencing with their children um, and also to facilitate family sessions. So we're able to do this um, approach that's holistic. Uh, and uh, lastly, we also work year round. So uh, we are, we work, we don't stop working or seeing the students during their um, summer vacations, for example. So they continue to have that care throughout the school year. Where do we see them um, then when school's closed? Well, that's always fun summer. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes some schools actually, because they do have summer school programs and because of the relationships that we've developed with them, uh, they allow us to use um, the school. They allow us to use the room. Um, in other situations, we just meet them wherever they can be, whether it's um, some families, you know, allow us to come, come into their home. Um, sometimes we can meet at a park, we can meet at a library or um, our office too, um, occasionally for some families, if they choose to, they may meet us at um, in our office, but most of the time is field work. So out in the community. Sounds like it requires quite a bit of flexibility. Oh, yes. That is, <laughs> that is very important um, for our clinicians to have. Could you tell us a little bit about the client population? Like what kinds of presenting problems and family or community pressures do you see in the children you serve? So um, our school-based program serves uh, some of the most under-resourced populations in Long Beach. Uh, this includes not only uh, people who are low income, but racially and ethnically diverse populations, um, such as Black, Latino, Asian groups. Um, we also serve a large uh, immigrant community and LGBTQ plus youth. Um, so, and some of the uh, most common problems that we see are related to depression, um, grief and loss, um, anxiety, trauma. Um, in addition to that, we also see a lot of, um, we see behavioral issues such as hyperactivity and inattention. Um, a common threat that we see uh, in many of the children uh, and youth that we serve um, is that um, these children and the families come with their own history of trauma. Um, and the trauma can stem from different um, situations that they might have experienced in their life, whether it's uh, family experiences, um, such as violence uh, in the family, or also community violence, um, 
or even the racism or discrimination that they experience from society at large? You know, it, it occurs to me that, um, you know, one difference perhaps, um, and I know I'm going off script, so bear with me, between the kids in our school-based program versus our other programs is, um, you know, because these children are referred by the school, their mental health issues are manifesting in the classroom, whereas perhaps our other children, a lot of them are self-referred. So it seems like maybe the the mental health issues are manifesting in the home. Um, would that feel to be accurate that, you know, the, the school-based kids, the children we see in the school-based program, they're really struggling somehow in their academic performance because of their mental health issues? Absolutely. Um, that is uh, what exactly how you put it, Tricia. I couldn't have said it better. Um, the fact that's how they are identified um, by the teachers often. Um, when they see that there's something going on with the student and possibly that's that could be what's keeping them from reaching their full potential um, and accessing the learning at school. So um, that's typically how a, a trigger for a referral to us, um, teachers noticing um, issues in the classroom. You know, we have what I think is a beautiful big green building at the guidance center. I love our building. It's filled with private offices that have beautiful play therapy toys. It would be a whole lot easier to have our clients just come to the clinics in the schools. Staff have to move around. They might be in a closet or outside. They have to carry in their supplies. Why is it worth it? What do you see as the advantage of providing the care in the schools? Like why is it worth that extra hassle? It's absolutely worth it. And you are right. It's uh, it's challenging. And um, as you mentioned, flexibility, looking for space, there's, it's a hassle. But um, it's uh, worth it because we have direct access to students. Um, and we are meeting them in the community. We get to be in the schools where they are experiencing the the difficulties in the classroom. And so, as I mentioned earlier, being at the schools allows us, the clinicians, the opportunity to work closely with teachers, uh, counselors, all the school staff to support the child uh, in the areas that we identify that are needed. And so we're not only working with the student, but we're working with all the people who are part of this child's life to help them um, succeed in school and to, you know, uh, take down those barriers that are keeping them uh, and affecting their learning. So in effect, being on the campus, the real advantage is that, or the primary advantage is that it really facilitates care coordination with the teachers? Yes. I imagine, too, that we have, you know, there's a segment of our client population who might be hesitant, too, to walk into a building that says mental health on the outside. Um, 
and perhaps having the services at the school increases access or do you feel like families might be more willing to get services if it's part of the school versus a standalone mental health agency? I believe so because um, they, as you mentioned, it is at the school. Um, so in some instances, you know, and oftentimes it happens, they, they view us as part of the school system as a support. Um, so yes, parents and, and they, they trust us uh, more so, um, I would say, as you said, yes, there, there's, could be the stigma around the, the word mental health. Um, so being in the schools allows us to do that work of, of um, destigmatizing um, mental health. And going back to the issue of access, you know, also being in the schools for parents who struggle sometimes with um, transportation, because some of the families we work with, transportation is an issue. Um, also work hours, long work hours, not being able to take their kids to appointments, perhaps us being in the schools helps with that barrier uh, also. So the kids, the parents can access a service that perhaps otherwise they may um, have more difficulty accessing. What about the parents though? I mean, that, of course, it, it makes the child more accessible to us because they're at school anyway, we can go get them. But I would imagine there's a, a a risk that the parents might say, oh, it's taking care of there. I don't need to be a part of this. Whereas in a clinic, you know, the parents have to drive them there or get them there. Or if we do it in the home, well, the parent lives there. Um, how How hard is it or is it hard to get parental involvement in the therapy when you do it in a school setting? Yeah. <laughs> Short answer, yes. <laughs> it is challenging, uh, but it's also it's part of the work that we do as clinicians to yes, there's times where parents perhaps feel like, okay, it's being taken care of. But as clinicians, because our approach is holistic, we don't just say, okay, just let me do this work with, with one kid. Uh, we reach out to the parents. We engage them through telephone collaterals. With technology now, the benefit of COVID, right, is that we have access to uh, telehealth sessions, for example, where we can bring in the parent perhaps, um, and they don't have to be physically present, but we can engage them that way. Um, being uh, so in that way, we can uh, incorporate them in the treatment that we provide, and we we work hard to develop that relationship with the with the parents. That's part of the work. It's not just work with your client, but work with the entire system, all, all those people who are involved. Excellent. You know, it occurs to me that you guys are on public school campuses, which have last several years have felt kind of like scary places um, in terms of school shootings, et cetera. And I know schools and school districts are very mindful of school violence. So 
I'm curious, what role, if any, does your program have in preventing the kinds of school violence that has become so endemic in the United States? Yeah, I mean, violence, um, we've seen a lot of it over the years. And um, what I like to think is that, um, and not only think, but I do believe this, is that programs like like ours um, that focus on mental health education and support students in dealing with their challenge, challenges um, that they experience, uh, in the long run, these programs um, have a positive impact um, in the school environment and culture. And so through therapy um, and the work that we do when we meet students, um, we work with the children and the youth to develop um, skills to cope with stressful situations, uh, to talk about things, to problem solve, to um, develop uh, their support systems, to ask for help. Um, so, and, and also learning how to utilize the resources around them um, when so that when they are in need of help. According to the Children Now 2022 California Report Card, student success hinges on the support of caring, effective, trauma-informed, and culturally competent, congruent adults. Yet California schools continue to have fewer educators, counselors, nurses, support staff, and administrators than almost any other state in the country. Too few students feel connected to an adult on campus and students in foster care who are homeless or who are LGBTQ plus are the least likely to have strong, caring relationships with adults on campus. Overall, Children Now found that only 57% of ninth graders in California reported having a caring relationship with even just one adult at school. The Kaiser Family Foundation advocates for robust and comprehensive mental health services on primary school campuses, including universal standardized mental health assessments of all students, teacher training in the identification of mental health struggles, socio-emotional learning and wellness programs, early intervention such as drop-in counseling and support groups, and intensive mental health treatment such as the Guidance Center provides. So if all the school districts were in at the Guidance Center, and we're in many, Long Beach Unified by far has the most robust mental health network of all of them. But the services we provide are still intensive. We serve kids once they're already really struggling. So let's pretend for a minute that money is no object for our school districts. What programs would you want to create to establish a more trauma-informed culture on campus? Like what are the gaps in the in the sort of mental health picture on our public schools? Hmm. Uh, wow, that, that's amazing to have no uh, money be an issue. Uh, one of the things I would love to do would be to create more wellness pro programs um, or centers, as they call them, across all schools where um, families and children, the students also could, uh, you know, where we can 
provide learning around social emotional issues. Um, I would hire a trauma informed uh, person at all each school. Um, not only to help with uh, education and providing education around um, trauma care, but to also help with implementation and what that is. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of training that teachers are provided with, and, and that's great that we do that. And I would do also more of that, but having a person who can be at school to help uh, implement that training, uh, I think would be amazing. Um, so th because that's, I, I believe, very important to create a positive culture um, on, on school campuses uh, that supports the the emotional well-being of the students. Um, I would have more social workers at each school, not only as mental health providers, but also that could um, help uh, family and children's families and children with um, what we call case management. So helping with uh, issues of food insecurity, possibly with uh, healthcare situations um, and uh, provide uh, parenting groups, parenting classes, not only classes, but also groups for parents to, to gather and learn ways to support their children. Um, I think those would be just some thoughts off the top of my head. I, I love all of them. Uh, that's long been my, uh, my fantasy to help our schools create uh, more supportive cultures. And, you know, if I wish they had the resources to do wellness centers and family resource centers on every campus, I think that would... Oh, make the world a better place. Um, you know, our teachers' plates are very full. Um, do most of them know when to refer a child to treatment? And how could we support the teachers better in that? I would say, uh, generally speaking, yes, they know when to refer a child. And I, part of that, I'd say, is because there's been more... Um, awareness and education around mental health, um, they are they can, are, can easily identify students. On the other hand, um, teachers are not mental are, are not trained um, mental health professionals. Um, so it can be easy for them to miss maybe some of the uh, so, more subtle uh, signs of mental health conditions. Um, so that's why we can continue to support them by uh, providing an um, education um, to develop uh, uh, their further develop their understanding um, of uh, mental health issues and how they present um, in the child's life. You know, I their classrooms are big, and I imagine it's it's pretty easy to identify the child who's acting out because of their struggles, but I worry about the perhaps depressed or highly anxious child who's quietly sitting in the back corner um, that those children might get missed um, because they're not disruptive um, and they can kind of fly under the wire. Exactly. That's where it gets difficult. And that's where 
it's challenging for teachers because they have a classrooms are big, as you mentioned, and we're asking them to do a lot <laughs> by not only teaching, but also by identifying mm -hmm. mental health issues and uh, all the other lists, uh, you know, that they have to do. So having smaller classrooms where they can act, provide better um not only education, but also be able to support students in these other areas, such as mental health, uh, would definitely be a way that we can uh, support teachers um, by having a smaller classroom. You know, what what changes, because you've been on these same campuses pre-COVID and now, of course, post-COVID, what changes do you see in the children and the campus environment since COVID? Well, uh, well, as we know, you know, because of COVID, um, children were very isolated and um, their learning was compromised and in-person interactions were very limited as well as community interactions. So uh, now that they are back in the classroom, um, what we are seeing is that um, they are struggling. They are struggling academically. Um, they also are dealing with mental health conditions uh, that could be stemming from that time that we spent isolated, such as depression or anxiety, because you know they may struggle to be away from home. Uh, anxiety related to what we went through with COVID uh, for health reasons. So that's some of the; those are some of the things that we are seeing. Kids being this lack of motivation. Um, also is there and loss um, that they've experienced possibly from um, COVID. And what role do you think um, the threat of mass shootings has on campus culture and student well-being? Is that, do you think, an element of the anxiety that um, our children have? I would say some of it, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I just know, like when I was in school, I certainly never had to do to practice what to do if there's an active shooter on campus. You know, I had to do perhaps earthquake or tornado drills, but that's a really different thing than having to do active shooting drills. And I, I just have to wonder what how that contributes to our children's anxiety level. Well, and the teachers for that matter. Yeah, exactly. Everyone, right. That is in that school, in that building. Um, I, I do believe that it, it causes anxiety and, I mean, even the youngest kids, we know they are aware of this because whether they learn about these shootings through television, conversations, media, um, they are exposed to this. And as you mentioned, also, because of this, schools have certainly become more mindful to engage in increased safety measures um, that include close, uh, closer monitoring of student behavior, safety drills, uh, such as active shooter trainings, um, and other procedures. So this is something that it's on the mind of children pretty regularly, I'm sure, and teachers as well. So despite all this, COVID and everything else that our children have gone through, 
we know as social workers that treatment works. It is effective. And could you perhaps share a client success story from your program? Oh, we have several, of course. Um, One that comes to mind is um, uh, a young girl, I would say elementary age girl, who was referred to us um, because she was very anxious about being in school, speaking of anxiety, Um, being in school and uh, participating. She was also not talking um, while at school. She was talking at home, but not at school. Um, not developing relationships, um, social relationships. So she was referred to us um, and and work, the therapists who work with her closely, um, you know, helped to helped her to develop um, skills to manage her anxiety, uh, worked with the teacher also, um, work with the parent also to support, to help support the student um, managing the anxiety she was experiencing uh, during the early hours before coming to school. Um, so with time and uh, over time, um, you know, this child slowly began to feel, and even parents, you know, have shared, um, they just she began to feel more comfortable um, being on campus uh, looking forward to being um, in school. Um, she slowly began to develop relationships. And the I would say the best part of it all also, she began to talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, while not talking a lot and out, uh, aloud, she started to whisper. And so, I mean, that's just an incredible thing to see. And What's also very rewarding is to see the joy in in the parents and and how much they um, appreciate uh, the work that these um, that this clinician in this case you know has done to support the the child and the family. Do you know? Did she um, talk right away with the therapist, or did it take time for her to to speak with the therapist as well? Do you recall? It actually took time with a therapist. So a lot of the work that was done was nonverbal through play or, you know, written things. And um, it it takes time to build that relationship and create a safe, uh, not only space, but a safe relationship where the child can feel comfortable enough to, uh, in this case, talk and mm. or whisper, right? Um, so yeah, it, it takes time. It's, these are gains that um, sometimes we may not see, you know, get be lucky enough to see them. But uh, in this case, obviously, you know, we were lucky. That's excellent. You know, this is really hard work that you do. You've been in community mental health for 10 years. Um, you support a team of clinicians. And I end every podcast with this question because I am at my core a hopeful person. Um, so I am, what continues to give you hope? What are the bright sides that you see? Well, tying it back to the story that I just shared, seeing uh, the progress that um, the children make, the youth, the 
and we hear from our students too, right? That um, how much they look forward to the service, how uh, the difference we make because we hear them. We hear that from the parents as well. And, and the story that I just shared, right? With a family, teachers, also counselors, they just let us know how much we they appreciate what we do. And um, so that fills your cup and also seeing it. It's not just that you hear it, but you see it. You you see the difference that you're making. Um, and to me, that's, that's what really keeps me going, um, as well as just the dedication of all the therapists that we have. Um, they're talented people who, you know, day in, day out, they show up um, to see their clients and put their best foot forward and work hard to help them um, overcome the barriers that they have. So that just gives me hope um, to continue to do this work. I, I'm with you on that. I say all the time, we get to watch the kids get better and and like you as well. You know, I don't get to treat clients anymore, but I get my inspiration from all of you who still do. So I just, Nayeli, thank you so much for the work you do in our schools, for serving such a vulnerable population and showing such grace in doing it. Being the great supervisor, your work definitely makes the world a better place for all of us. So I thank you very much. Thank you so much, Tricia, for having me. It's my position that by shining a light on these issues, admitting that they are in our own backyards, it will be easier for a struggling child to get some help. Ideally, we can all begin to be kinder and more supportive of each other. In My Backyard is brought to you by the Guidance Center, a children's mental health agency in Long Beach, California. In My Backyard is produced by Trisha Costales and Matthew Murray. Thank you to J. Vincent B. for original music. All other music licensed through Soundstripe. Thank you to our listeners and supporters. Please visit tgclb.org or text HOPE to 562-262-5689 to make a one-time donation or join our Hope and Healing Club to become a monthly donor today. Subscribe to In My Backyard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.